months out, exactly two months out before we move, transition to our new home. Um, so uh, we are grateful to the Lord just there for his faithfulness. We had a tremendous time last week. Um, been able to worship there as well um, to get what we're calling a bit of a preview um, before we um, actually go in. So we were grateful for that. Um, in that same vein, that same line of thinking, as we are preparing to move and transition, we wanted to talk and think about what it means to be a part of the church. What does it mean that we are members of the body of Christ? And we want to get some clarity just in regards to that. And so as we are preparing ourselves to into our new endeavor as a church, we are certainly in a bit of a replant mode. And um, I was actually talking to Alicia the other week, and I told her we have the opportunity uh, to plant, not any longer in a pot, but finally to actually plant in the ground. And so before we um, talk about that, we need to talk about you. We need to talk about the individuals who are here today, those who may be watching or out. We want to talk about the individuals who make up the church. Why are you here? Why are you here at church? Now, this has less to do with our church specifically, but this is about the church as a whole. Why has anyone ever been a part of the body of Christ? Why has anybody ever been a part of the church? Now, this may be a hard realization for people to come to, but the fact is that many of us don't know why we do church. Many of us don't know why we're a part of the body. Now, if you're older and you're in here, you may not know anything else. This may just be your routine. I've always done this, so we just go to church. And in some regards, if you're not careful, it becomes a formality. We just do this, right? It is as normal and routine for us as getting up and going to our jobs or going to the grocery store or paying our bills every month. We just do it. We can't imagine not going to church. Now, if you're a younger adult, then you're probably having issues. You're caught in this weird space knowing that church is not what it used to be for you when you were a kid, but you don't quite know what your role is in church or what church's role is in your life. And if you're a young adult and below, then you may either really be committed to the gospel and to church or you're skeptical about the whole thing. Now, regardless of where you are in your stage of life, you have a distinct purpose in the church. And it goes far beyond you coming every week. It goes far beyond you tithing. It goes far beyond you playing an instrument or singing a song, but there is a greater calling. So before I begin today, let me state this clearly. Let me state this clearly. Whatever your purpose is, it does not happen apart from the church. Whatever your purpose is, it does not happen apart from the church. Now, one of the mistakes that we've made in what we have called the church is that We've told people what they have to do in the church rather than what they get to do in the church. We all don't have to serve God. I think the better way to put it is we get to serve God. 
And he allows us to do that in the diversity of all of our gifts and the way that he has created us. And so today we're going to look at this and we're going to wrestle with what is your purpose here? Go with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to start at verse number 1 when you get there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 1. It says, Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you um, that you have given us the church. Lord, the church is a necessity because of the fall, because of our sinfulness, because of the sinfulness of Adam and Eve, Fellowship with you was broken. But God, in your grace and your mercy, you have given us the church, which is holding us until we are permanently reunited with you in fellowship. So God, help us not only see the necessity of the church today, but also let us see our place in the church as we serve you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, before we you know, really get into it, let me quickly explain to you why Paul wrote this letter. So there were some, as there usually were, controversies happening in the church. So one of those was that people who had spiritual gifts were using them in an out-of-order manner. And he addresses more specifically those types of people in chapter 14. Some people were claiming to have been gifted in ways that God had actually not even gifted people in the first place, which was creating his own problems in the church. And then, finally, there was a group of people who had gifts, but were not using them for the building and edifying of the church. And I think that group in particular is the one that we want to focus on today, because often that's the group that we face the most in church. There are people, many people, who have been gifted in the body of Christ, but do not know how that gift is used in the church. Now, why is that? Well, unfortunately, one of the reasons is that within the church, we have not always done a great job of acknowledging that there are a variety of gifts in the church. 
We have not always acknowledged that God is gifting people in unique ways that are different than us that are still capable of serving him and the church. We have not always done that. Unfortunately, we've also typically had an emphasis on certain gifts. If you preach, that gift is lauded above certain other gifts. If you play an instrument, if you sing, we love those gifts in the church. And primarily, if you didn't do any of those things, we didn't really know how to use you in the church. Anything that people deem what we call performative. So what happens is that people feel like if their gift set is not used in the pulpit, then it cannot be used for the church. And that's a mistake. Look at how uh, this is broken down for us in three different ways. Paul says there are a variety of gifts, there are varieties of service, and there are varieties of activities. The reason we need to understand these distinctions is so that we understand that all of us fall somewhere in these categories. If you are a believer, you have a gift that God is giving you to be used specifically for the church. And so the first thing we're looking at is varieties of gifts, varieties of gifts. That literally translates into varieties of a weird word, charisma. It means that God has gifted all of us differently, but that phrase differences of charisma means that he's giving us different gifts of grace. These gifts are intended to be used by the believer for God's glory and for the building of his church. Now, when you see this, let me be clear. These are not the generic everyone has a gift gifts. No, these are the gifts that we are empowered to do by the working of the Holy Spirit. These are gifts that add value not only to the collective body of Christ, but are also there to serve the individual members of the body of Christ as well. Now, when the New Testament church was established, there was a greater working of gifts. We saw that. Some of those gifts, which were to establish and build the New Testament church, we don't see functioning anymore. Gifts like apostleship, gifts like specific people who are working healings and miracles. Remember, the Bible tells us that the apostles did what? They lay the foundation of the church. And so there are some gifts, though, that we still see active, gifts that all of us have in some sort of way. These are a few of the gifts that are mentioned in the New Testament. Gifts such as serving, teaching, exhortation, giving, leading, showing mercy, wisdom, knowledge, faith, discernment. Helping or helps, administration, evangelism, pastor or teacher, speaking and serving. If you are a believer, then God has empowered you with the gift or gifts that all fall into these categories. Now, you may not know how you've been gifted 
and that's fine, but there are ways that you can figure that out. But I want you to know this. Whether you know what your gifting is or not, you have been gifted for his church. You are not just here to keep the pews warm. Not only is that a disservice to the church as a whole, but that is a disservice to you. Because you are not, when you are not serving God by serving the people around you, you are not walking out the purposes that God has intended for you. One time a man passed out on a plane, and when he did, there were several people around who leapt into action the moment that he passed out. There was a communications director on that plane who urged to the flight attendant to let the pilots know that a passenger passed out and that they would tell the nearest airport so medics would be there waiting. There was a meteorologist on the flight who recommended that they fly above the turbulence of the weather system they were headed towards in order to make sure the patient could be treated without discomfort. There was a therapist on the plane who was helping everyone stay calm in this emergency air situation. Finally, as all these people came together to help manage this situation, the flight attendant noticed that they were missing one key person, a doctor. And so she screams, of course, is there a doctor on this plane? A woman stands up suddenly and says, oh, I'm a doctor. The flight attendant asks her, why didn't you say anything before? And she said, I just didn't know I was needed. That line of thinking, while it may seem ludicrous for a doctor on a plane, is exactly what is happening in the church. It has long haunted the church. People who are in it who have been gifted but unaware that those gifts are needed or of value. The second thing that we see is that there is a variety of service. This literally translates that there are different ministries in the church. This text is saying that while there are different gifts, each of those gifts is used to function in a different ministry capacity. Now, we all know how this works. In the church, you have elders who, with the power of the Holy Spirit, govern the workings of the church. They can teach, whether that is from the pulpit or a class or a Sunday school class. That is how they're using their gifts. You have some people who have the gift of administration, and so they work with the elders in planning and tracking finances. There are others who have the gift of helps and hospitality, and they make sure people feel welcome and loved and are loved on directly. And you see that they all have different gifts that allow them to serve differently. They are fulfilling the mission of the church because not all of us have been gifted in the same way. And so where I may not be gifted, I can trust that God has someone else in the body of Christ who is gifted that way. And if I can't meet that person's need that way, God has someone in his church who can. We are all coming together to fulfill the mission of the church 
But in fulfilling the mission of the church, we are also being fulfilled. So why the church? Why is the church the place that people come serve and be fulfilled? Why can't you just go to your job and find that same fulfillment? Even if you work in a job that fulfills your skill set, why is it not intended for you to be fulfilled by your work? Well, let me explain why. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 22, it says, What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. Solomon says something here that I think every single one of us has felt at some point in our lives. Even if you are like me, where you get to do work, you get to work a job that is within your gift set. Let me tell you something. All work taxes on you. It does. All work is laborious and it stresses you out. And we've all felt this at first. You were excited about the opportunity to work a job within your skills and give your life some purpose. But you see, that's what would have been without sin. See, you remember, having a job is not the result of a fall. Adam had a job before the fall, before sin. And his purpose before sin was fulfilled in that he worked. You see that? But you see, this is the problem. After the fall, his purpose could no longer be fulfilled in his work. Work then only became a means to an end. And what was that means to what end? You need to eat. You need clothes. You need shelter. That's the curse. Look at what it says in Genesis 3 and 17. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. As a part of the curse, work became a means to an end, which is sustenance. We need to survive, therefore we need to work. So our work cannot be the primary means of us finding purpose and contentment. So where do we get it? We get it by serving in this new community that God has given us. Think about it like this. 
If you are an executive assistant and you give your boss a cup of coffee, that doesn't feel like purpose. You do that because in some sense, you get paid to make coffee. But now if you give your spouse a cup of coffee, you do it because there's something that drives you to have fellowship with them. That is how we've been called to serve in the church. We serve because we want community with the other people who make up the body of Christ, or at least we should. Our purpose in life is not fulfilled when our only motive to give is to receive. Our purpose is fulfilled when we love to give of ourselves because we have been saved and placed in this beautiful new community. There was a post going on recently, RJ, that said the church is dying because people don't do anything for the youth. But the church is dying because we don't do anything for each other. That's the reason the church is dying. We have become increasingly insulated people. Is us and ours. Is me and mine. And the very concept of what the church requires of us is foreign to us. That's why people don't want to be at church. Because there is a level of accountability that you do not get anywhere else. Where people should care about who you are going to bed with. Where people should care about what you're doing with your idle time. When people care about the fact that you may be fading in life, though you may be succeeding. There is a level of accountability that comes from within the body of Christ that we are not accustomed to having. And so we become insulated people. It's no mistake that people are more depressed now than they have ever been. It's no mistake that people are more medicated now than they've ever been. There's no mistake that people feel more hopeless now than they ever have. Why? Because we lost our connection to community. In fact, Proverbs 18 and 1 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. The person who actually isolates himself seeks his own desire and he breaks out against all sound judgment which means the people who don't want to be around people make the worst mistakes. The people who don't want to be a part of a community that is calling them out of themselves are the people who are living just for themselves. In fact, I heard Daniel mention it this morning, the Greek word, For church in the New Testament literally means to be brought out, to be called out. How can you say, I'm a believer, yet you have not been called out of yourself into this new community, this new body by which we fellowship? We live in a culture that is not only increasingly isolated, but it also takes pride in the fact that it's isolated. It takes pride in the fact that I don't need nobody. But that isolation and that desire for solitude actually goes against the way that God created us. Before the curse, all right, hear this. Before sin, God said, 
it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. He said that before there was a fall. If he said that before the fall, how much more do you think we need community after the fall? Think about what happened. Satan's main tactic for us is to divide and conquer. And that's what he did in the garden. You won't surely die. And in that moment, let me let me let you see the community that was broken. He drove a wedge. He fractured fellowship between husband and wife. What did Adam say? It was actually that woman you gave me that made me do it. He drove a wedge between humanity and God. He fractured their community and the lack of community affected their relationship with God. That community comes alive like we saw in Acts chapter 4 when we come together and love and share and serve one another. And you know what happened to the church as a result? It grew day by day because it gave people what they needed, which was a place to belong and use their God-given gifts. And it is no mistake. The more prevalent sin is in our lives, the more we isolate ourselves. I'll never forget I had John when he was a senior at my house, him and Tadric and Matthew, and we were missing one person, a part of that group. And they called him and he didn't answer. He actually declined the call. And while we were taking one of the members of that group home, we saw this guy who had isolated himself from the group. Why was he doing that? Because he was being wrecked with sin. See, that is our human nature. The minute we know we are dealing with sin, we do exactly what Satan wants us to do, which is withdraw. But our response to sin should not be withdrawal, it should be confession. What does the Bible tell us? Confess your sins one to another. And if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of them. That is foreign for us to think that I'm going to tell anybody about my business. That I'm going to open the door of my private life up to anybody. But this is the thing. If I really want to get over whatever I'm dealing with, I will do whatever I need to do. I will tell anybody I need to tell. I will open up to anybody I need to open up to. I will share with anybody I need to share because when you get sick of sin, you just get sick of sin. And so finally, there is a variety of activities best, less, best translated to a variety of operations. This text says that there are many different ways that our gifts will be displayed, but we have to believe that they are actually gifts of the Spirit and that the Spirit is empowering us to do it. The story goes that a man noticed a group of firemen sitting at a table at his favorite breakfast spot. And so seeing that, he went over to them and introduced himself and told them that he was a firefighter too. They said, oh, wow, how long have you been doing it? 
And he said, well, I've been doing it about 20 years now. Surprised, they said, oh, are you a chief at a station now? He said, oh, no, I'm, I'm not a chief. They said, you've been in the firefighting for 20 years and you're not a chief yet? They said, well, which station do you work at? He said, oh, I, I don't work at a station. And one man, upon hearing this, sarcastically said, you, my friend, are not a firefighter. Offended, the man said, I have you know, I have been going in schools for the past 20 years, teaching kids about fire safety, about what to do in a fire and how to avoid them. He says, see, you fight them after they happen, but I fight them before they happen. All of these men, if you think about it, were doing the same job, but the way they did it was different. My grandmother used to say this all the time. There is more than one way to skin a cat. And that's the truth. We can all serve for the common good in the gospel, but he can use us in different methods, in different ways, with different avenues and different approaches. God created us uniquely and placed us here as it pleases him. And when we try to water down people and their gifts, what we're saying is, God, no, you are not able to create people uniquely this way. They need to be homogenous. They need to look this way. They need to look that way. But when we do that, we are denying the diversity of the gifts of the body of Christ. And we are blinding ourselves to what heaven's going to look like. We don't speak down to anyone because they don't do it like us or they don't say it like we do because in that way we are not speaking against them but the spirit that empowers them to do it and the father who has gifted them to do it finally in first corinthians 12 and 12 it says for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body though many are one body so it is with christ for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, then where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, then where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of us, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet there is one body. Therefore, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker, or they're indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the great honor. And our unrepresentable parts 
are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. So I want you to look at this as we wrap this up. This is the line of thinking that we need to have in our hearts. God is amazing in the sense that he has gifted us so differently and given us so many different members of the body that all serve a different purpose. No, your feet don't do what your hands do. And you may think, but I can grab so much and I can do so much with my hands. Yeah, but you wouldn't be able to do that if you couldn't walk. Not as well. You say, but all I need is a brain. If I only had a brain. But then if you were just a brain with no eyes, that's a lot of thinking, not being able to see where you're going. None of those members functions like the other, yet apart from each other, none of them are worth anything. What's the purpose of a brain that's not in a fully functioning body? What's the purpose of hands that are not attached to a body? What's the purpose of feet that are separated from a body? Likewise, it is with us. You may be gifted. You may have something that God has called you to do. But as long as you are detached from the rest of the body, I hate to tell you this, but you're purposeless. You have no purpose apart from the body of Christ. And the struggle that you feel that darkness that you feel, that cloudiness that you feel in your life, that's what it feels like when you're not connected. God is amazing in that. He has given us all of the members of the body. But we have not had to lose one ounce of diversity in the body. And Just as much as we would be insignificant if we weren't attached to the body without the other members of the body. We are not a body at all. Without the full functioning of the body, we cannot become the hands and the feet and the eyes of the gospel. And so we need each other. We need each other desperately. And if anything's going to happen in this world that we see that we think needs to be fixed, if the gospel is the only thing that can change your heart, then how can they hear unless somebody tells them that gospel? And so we need each other. That's what makes us the church. We need each other desperately. We know each other. And we're there for each other. Because as he told Adam in the garden, so it is today. It's not good for man to be alone. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word. God, we know that it is, it's not good for us to be alone. God, the saying is, you're born alone and you die alone. But we don't have to die alone, God. Lord, you have given us the church to be a means to compensate for that loss of fellowship that we have with you in the garden. That you have given us the body of Christ 
not only to fulfill your calling in the earth, but also that we would be fulfilled. God, you marred and mutilated the body of Jesus so that we could become the fully working and functioning bride and body of Christ. Lord, maybe it's just not convenient for us to be a part of the church. Maybe it's just not rational that we would go confess our sins to someone so that we could get stronger. Maybe it's not reasonable, God, that we would bear our weaknesses before one another. But God, that is what you've required of us. And Lord, if we try to do this on our own, if we try to just show up here and be individuals, our own island, God, it's not going to work. And we're going to die. Because if we are not connected to the body, God, we have no blood supply. And the blood that is pumping through the body of Christ is the blood that Jesus shed on the cross on our behalf. God, we we need to be a part of your church, your body. God, the only place we will ever have purpose is in here, sharing the gospel, witnessing to the lost, seeing dead sinners come alive in you. God, there may be people who are watching or who are even here who say, you know, I've been doing church a long time, but I've never been to church. God, I pray this is the day that you awaken their hearts, open the eyes of their heart, and let them see that they need us and we need them to survive. Let them see that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for the sin that each one of us owed on the cross. And that in dying on the cross, he satisfied the wrath of God. And that he was raised on Sunday with all power. And he has given us a power that we need to repent, to turn away from our sins and believe the gospel. And that's what makes us a part of the church. And the good news about that, God, is that no one can take that away from us. So, Lord, I pray that each one of us will come into the knowledge of the truth and understand the beauty of the body of Christ. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.